Bali last week. And a very special thank you to Ross Nichols for last week's Torah portion, mm. uh, the Torah pills last week. He did a great job, didn't he, Jason? He, he really did do a great job. So thank you, Ross. Thanks for coming on, uh, Ross. And oh, we, we're going to be with him as well in November on the Tanakh tour. All that bus is slowly filling up, people. Not slowly; it's quickly filling up. Don't take too long. In <laughs> fact, we need to. You know what? We need to shore up some numbers. And we do. If you're if you're thinking about coming on the tour, or you're intending on coming on the tour, but you haven't secured your seat with a deposit, you really need to do that. But we will be going on the Tanakh tour this November. If you would like to come with us, Toby Singer and myself and Ross Nichols, we're going to be meeting some other people uh, when we're over there as well but uh, that is in the beginning of the first couple of weeks of November you can get the details at truth2u.org truth2u.org click on uh, Israel tour don't take long because the bus is filling up our portion this week is Veshalach it's uh, Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 to 17 16 it begins this way then it came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistine Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Mm. Uh, we got to stop there, first yes. of all, surely, because that's thank, a very curious thing God to say. God stop there, right. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, God has, God has brought uh, them out by a mighty outstretched arm, by wonders, by signs, by miracles, by this, this incredible display of power. And yet the people are going to be upset uh, at the possibility of war and flee back to Egypt as if, uh, what's going on here? So there's multiple, multiple layers of problems here. Number one, the nation has seen 10 plagues, which occurred over a period of 11 months. They have seen, these are the very people, incidentally, who were willing to kill the lamb, the god of Egypt, and put its blood on the outside of the door. So these are not any people. These are the best that were worthy of being redeemed. And God, now, just so people understand the geography, and this is really simple, you don't need to open a map. If you think where Egypt is, and you want to get to Israel, right, and so you make a straight line, you're going straight north. But mm -hmm. by going, it's very simple, Egypt is right below Israel. It's basically, it's almost a straight line, straight north. Very simple. So what they're going to is God doesn't want to take them north, because that would take him into the land of the Philistines. And, and that kind of war with the Philistines in particular is a problem. And it's because, as we'll see, it can't be just war in general that's con disconcerting here. But the Philistines, the war with the Philistines is going to be worse, would be worse than the war with other nations. And in fact, they are going to encounter Amalek soon. So the Philistines are different. It's a different kind of war. This is a, a people who have been deeply injured. It's, if you ever watched, we just saw the commemorate the 70th anniversary of mm -hmm. the liberation of Auschwitz on January uh, 27th, uh, night, mm. right? So uh, if you look at the survivors, they're emotionally very injured. And I remember as a child, I'm the second generation, speaking to those who survived the Holocaust. And they really, in my childhood, it was very hard for them to talk about it. They were just emotionally very injured, injured people who survived Auschwitz. And I met them in my youth. They were all around me. Today, there are not that many survivors left. So we're going to see that these are people who are very injured, and there's so much that they can handle. Now, why are the, why would war with the Philistine be more traumatic than a war with Amalek? Or, in a moment, there are other nations here. There's uh, Amal, Moab, is gonna, we're going to be discussing in a moment. The reason is very simple. The Philistines would put up the greatest fight of all the nations in the area. Why? Because they all knew. These are really people who were all aware of Abraham. They knew that the promise was that the Jews were, where was, where was their destination? Their destination was the land of Israel, which is the land where the Philistines were. So whereas the people of Moab, Ammon, whereas the people of Amalek were, were scared, or Amalek went to war, they were going to be fighting for their own land. The Philistines really had a stake in this. The Philistines knew this was their land. We came to the Philistines. This is not the Palestinians. These are Philistines. So the mm. Philistines would put up the greatest fight because the Philistines are fighting for their own land. You know, the Arabs that fled when the War of Independence, they fought because they weren't from the land of Israel. They weren't Palestinians. They came from Syria, Lebanon. So they fled right away. Why? Because it's not their land. The Philistines are going to put up the greatest foe and the people are very injured. They're very scared. They're very frightened. They have endured 210 years in Egypt of the 
then nearly 90 of those years were very, very severe uh, uh, servitude. And therefore, the mindset of the slave has affected them. And you'll notice, these are not my words, this is what God says to Moses. Moses, God says to them, I hear their crying, he said to them in passages earlier, and they're crying, why? Why are they so crying so much and complaining and screaming out? Because they are, were slaves for so many years. They were an injured people. And we're going to see now how Hashem is going to, very carefully, you'd think that he'd punish them very much for what's going to happen soon, because they constantly, oh, maybe we should go back, maybe we should go back. They were, in fact, Jews who went back to Poland after the Holocaust. They went back to Poland and only to be killed when they went back home, because they still had that mindset. So Hashem is going to gently move them through and he's not going to punish them initially for he's going to say to them calm down trust me but you see that's going to be the ongoing but they do have the mind of a slave and it's very and Hashem is going to rebuild this nation to give them the strength so they can have free will but he's as he said God said to Moses I heard the crying out of the people and the re reason they cry so much is they have been in servitude for so long and therefore mm. they've been very injured but the Philistines are the critical one the Philistines would have been given the greatest fight. And therefore, a direct north is a problem. And, and and the Jews might have been scared, and they would have indeed gone back to Egypt. God wanted to give the Jews free will, just like Pharaoh, and therefore placed them in positions where the war would not have been that visceral, that explosive, that they just would have lost their free will. So a war with them, unlike the Jews, could have sustained, which they did. But the mm -hmm. war with the Philistines would have overwhelmed them. Right, and therefore, in verse 18, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. See, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks outside, uh, out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, uh, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Yeah. And so they took their journey from Sukkot, and, uh, and they cantered uh, Etam, uh, the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them uh, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, mm. as to go by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the, the people. Uh, now, here we are in chapter 14. This is the Red Sea crossing. Yeah. And, uh, and God says, okay, so you go this way, you go that way, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, and I will do this because I will gain honor. This is what it says. I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army, that the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Right, that, yes, so very important, what we talked about earlier, this is why my friend, so important, for you may be challenging to learn Hebrew, but if you have children, teach them Hebrew. The Hebrew, again, is that God says here, it's not hard, but it says, of course, God is going to strengthen the heart of Pharaoh. I wonder if the the is lay Pharaoh, I will strengthen. So what God is doing here, to remind you, going back a couple of portions, that God is injecting Pharaoh with strength. You know, mm. in, in many uh, sporting I just I want to use it so you understand this point. In many sporting events, when people start losing, they go into what's called a tilt. A tilt means in any kind of sport or in card games that when people lose and so many times they they do not perform as well. And every everyone will tell you that they cannot perform as well if they've struck they struck out three times. So what happens is people go into tilt. That's why it's so hard to play against a computer, because the computer never goes into tilt. It's always running out of an algorithm. So what God is doing here with Pharaoh at every stage is he's simply making sure that Pharaoh does not go into tilt. And that's why so you're by Bibles may say harden the heart of Pharaoh, but really God is strengthening the heart of Pharaoh so he doesn't go into tilt. And you'll see even to the last second, even the way in which God is going to split the sea is going to give Pharaoh a way in or a way out. And this is very mm, critical. Yeah. He's The free will is always there. You're going to see there's a very odd way God splits the sea, and he does it in this strange way because Pharaoh could have had an in we we'll have free will here. Uh, Jason, what's going through your mind? There was a, a point um, a week or two ago when we see um, Pharaoh, um, he's in a dialogue with Moses, um, but we read that the people of Egypt are kind of on Israel's side. Moses has this um, this fight against the people of Israel, 
but uh, the people of Egypt are on his side. And it's interesting as we read on here that Pharaoh looks at the people of um, Israel and it says here that they, they um, that he says that they are entangled in the land. But I think a better um, a better translation of that might be confused or perplexed by the land that they they're not sure like how they're going to get out. But we read as we go on that he says, "I will get me honor upon Pharaoh." And later on, the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned towards the mm. people. Um, mm. So at this point, when I, when I, I, I read um, I Will Get Me Honor um, upon Pharaoh, and I went and had a look at a few uh, different translations of that. And I think perhaps through Pharaoh, that I will use Pharaoh as an example, um, is, a, is a better translation of that line. But I found it interesting that at this point, we don't need Egypt anymore. Israel... Um, you know, it doesn't need Egypt, but God wants to use his example here with um, Egypt to show the remainder of Egypt. There's an interesting part later on that I hope, hopefully we'll get to talk about um, mm. to show the remainder of Egypt that God is God, um, that, you know, yes. that they've lived through all this stuff. And now he's going to say, this is who I am. Look at what I'm doing to Pharaoh. Look at what I'm doing to these uh, soldiers. You, Israel, should know by now I'm God. And you, the remainder of Egypt, because we know Egypt wasn't completely decimated, mm. um, you will also know that I am God. And I find it interesting that, you know, we've we've got one part of the um, the Taurus that tells us that uh, Egypt is pro-Israel. And now at this stage, they've kind of gone, you know, they've gone and they've taken all our stuff and we don't have any mm-hmm. slaves. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's good you know, th- their heart turns. Yeah, oh. yeah just to italicize what Jason just said, there should be a question people are screaming. And that is, they're, they're getting all these horses to chase the Jews. Where did they get the horses from? The horses should have been destroyed in the plagues of oh, the, the animals. So I want to just heighten this. I, what, means what, I, what I'd like to do here on air is just push this so realize the enormity of what happened here, that in fact, the entire nation was culpable. In order to have evaded the plague that would have attacked the, the animals, you had to bring your animal indoors. If they were outdoors, they would have been killed. That means that what would was what what's where was the supply of horses coming from? The horses were supplied by people who, in fact, feared God and feared Moses and hid their animals and complied with what Moses had said. Yet, when it came down to this part, God energized them to give them free will, and they willing to use the very horses that they actually had to hide. It means wow. put indoors. So this demonstrates. So this what I've done now. Not me. The Torah has done now is brings into view that even the best of the Egyptians, the best, these are the ones who feared God, meaning who were scared of Moses and took hmm. him seriously, and they put their animals indoors so they would not have been killed in the plague. They said, "Here are our horses. Let's go and get the Israelites." These are the best of the enemy. So that's how how large this is, and we can see here the culpability of not just Egypt of Pharaoh, but of the entire nation is coming into view here. Okay, so well, I, that's that's a Torah pill. I didn't say that. You're that, that's fascinating. And so, uh, so God strengthened Pharaoh's heart, and he said, "Why have we done this? That we have let Israel from uh, let him go from serving us." So he made ready his chariots. He took his people with him. Also, six hundred choice chariots. And all the chariots of Egypt and, and captains and so on and so forth. And he pursued the Israel, uh, the children of Israel. And, uh, and the, the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and so on and so forth. Now, it mentions uh, some locations here. Now, there's, there's some contention over where was the Red Sea crossing, Tobia. Well, this, um, is, this is very interesting. This is a very, uh, I'll, I'll explain this uh, just uh, briefly here. Um, the, the, there's, uh, as I've always encouraged the listeners, in f- our first shows we've done together were, were about diving. I'm a, a, you know, I've, I've, I don't know how many dives I've logged in my life, but there are many. And I always tell people, if you get certified to dive, you could dive anywhere and you have this. But actually, that's not true in the Red Sea. In the Red Sea, you have to demonstrate, in order to dive in these areas, you have to demonstrate that you've logged 50 dives in the past two years. You have to show your logbook that's, sa- that's sealed. Only there in the whole world. Why? Because the Red Sea is a very deep crevice, and when you dive there, it's, it, the, it's a straight drop. In many areas, 
it's with that are being described here, the drop is over a mile down. That means you're told when you dive that you, you, there's, there's 8,000 feet below you, okay? So why is this more challenging? Because normally when you dive, you can see the – you're diving in shallow areas. You can see the ocean floor. You can see the substrates. And that gives you also a measurement. But when you dive in the Red Sea, you see nothing, just blue. So imagine you dive – you jump off the end of a boat and you just see blue. There's no floor because thousands of miles straight down – and it's straight down a wall. And all you see is the wall. It's called a wall dive. You're diving along the wall, and there's a drift that takes you through. So what ordinarily divers use as a method of orientation, meaning we could see the seafloor doesn't exist. All we have is a wall in our dive computers. This presents a very serious problem. The question is, if God... When, when God parted the sea, if the Jews would, that would actually make it more difficult to cross. Why? Because it's a straight down cliff going down six, seven, eight thousand mm. feet. So you just fall off the end. How would, it's actually easier to cross by taking a boat across than by walking mm. across, right? Ah. So we're, go, we're going back now to the uh, going back quite a number of years, where we they start to look at where could the Jews have crossed. There's one other point I should make, and that is, we have a tradition. That is that Hashem. One of the miracles that Hashem performed is that He actually in the Red Sea, Hashem made a special pathway which would be shallow so that the Jews can pass through, okay? That mm -hmm. means that even though the, sea, the Red Sea is, if you look it up at anything, is one of the deepest bodies of water in the world, also the saltiest. It is the saltiest. Hashem made a special pathway so the Jews couldn't go through. And as it turns out, there is now, a pathway. Yes. Are we talking about the land bridge in the Gulf of Aqaba? Yes. Now, this is a passage in Isaiah. That's first of all. Isaiah 43, verse 16. I encourage you to open your Bible if you'd like to. But actually, we see that Hashem, see, it's not an excess. And that's what I wanted, we all want to do with you on, on Truth to You is there's going to be music going on, a lot of music in this show. And music means that all the notes are going to come together with all the harmonies. And what, what I'm going to seek to do with Hashem's help is bring this into a, a spectacular symphony. If you go to Isaiah 43, 16, and Isaiah says, says the Lord, saying, listen to these delicious words and give Hashem a big kiss now. Who placed a pathway in the sea. Uvamayim izim nesiva, and a road, a road, a walkway that uh, through the deep or very uh, churning waters. Incidentally, the Red Sea, it's all a drift dive. These are, the waters are not still there. So we, we were told by Isaiah what has known to the children of Israel, that Hashem, one of the miracles is that Hashem, when he made, created the world, he made sure there would be a pathway. And as it turns out, there is exactly such a pathway that people could just go. And that is, right, if you're standing in Egypt, right by Nueve, which is, if a direct line, you can make a direct line from there right to Saudi Arabia, right to Saudi Arabia, that's the way the Jews would have crossed logically because there, and we know because I've traveled up and down there, when you go over that pathway, remember the water really is always 8,000 feet deep, let's just say, but right there it's only 200 feet deep, 150, and it's a gentle slope up and comes up the other side, sort of comes just one other side out the other side. So when the when a boat goes over that, it gets slammed. Everything has to be tied down. We always tie down the ship before we can go over that because the water hits it like a tsunami. It's shoved up going over that exact spot. And and uh, and then so so from verse ten and the uh, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to they cried out to Yudhe and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away in the wilderness to die, why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Jason, what goes through your mind? This, is a, this won't be the last time we hear them say this. There's a few awesome, I don't know how to do this, but the next kind of six um, lines are all really fantastic. Um, they, they've, they've come to a position now where they are... They, they they think that they're all going to get slaughtered. They've seen uh, Egypt coming. Um, they even say to Moses, look, we told you not to bother. You know, we were quite happy 
we were quite happy in Egypt. Yeah, verse, verse 12, it says, it says, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Yeah. So Moses says to them, um, you know, chill out. Don't worry about it. Um, and it says, you're going to see the salvation of your creator because it's working for you today. Mm. And uh, today you'll see the Egyptians, but tomorrow you won't because your God is here to fight for you. And it says, hold your peace, which I think in today's terminology be like, shut your face. And shut watch. your face. Yeah. And, um, and watch. And then God says to Moses, um, why are you crying out? Tell the people that they have to go forward, which is really um, awesome where I'm going with this in a direction at the moment. Um, it's really awesome because sometimes you, you know, quite a lot of time, people will, will pray and wait and pray and wait. And why doesn't God answer my prayer? I've asked him to get that shelf up in the hall and it's not happening. You know, like, get a screwdriver and put the shelf up in the hall. Um, get a screwdriver it, and put a nine-volt battery in the squeaky. You're right. <laughs> but in this, this is a great instance of, of a time where God says, look, I hear you crying and I'm doing my part, but you're going to have to start doing something yourself and walking right. forward. So, uh, very, very good point. He says... Um, he says, I've heard your cries, um, you know, you're going to have to start moving. And um, he says to Moses, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go into the midst of the, of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians, so give strength to the Egyptians. And they shall go in after them. And again, he says, I will get me on a, upon or through Pharaoh and upon all his host." And his chariots and his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know. The Egyptians shall know mm. I am the Lord when I've gotten me on upon Pharaoh, his chariots and upon his horsemen. I am um, one of my favorite passages in the whole of the Tanakh is Ezekiel 18. It's always my go to passage. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm aware of kind of a, a mirror here um, of an of a, of a group of people who are undergoing an action and a group of instructions for a person to read because in Ezekiel 18 it says if you are wicked and you see the right direction to go in and you repent of what you've done and you put your best foot forward God will save you and here we have a group of people who are standing in on the shore being wicked they're saying why did you bring us out we're all going to die. Their faith seems to have just drifted away. Mm. Moses gets instruction and says, God's working for you right now. Now they have to listen to that or they have to ignore it. They can they can hear the words or they can ignore the words. And then God mm. says, do something. Walk where I tell you to walk. Exactly as it says in Ezekiel 18. Do or don't do. And then God offers them and it says, you shall see salvation this day. And I, I just, I love the mirroring of that. And I also love the fact, as I said earlier, not all the Egyptians died. There were people there who didn't get into the water. People there that survived in the town that heard this story that at the end of that day were absolutely sure that there was only one God. And I have mm. to think that some of that salvation stretched to those people too. Yeah, uh, just uh, again to italicize what Jason said, notice that, I don't know how the translations are coming up, but why would Egypt be a better place than where they were? So in the, Jason's explaining that the key in the Hebrew is there's they're in a they're, it may be translated something like a wilderness. You think it's a forest? Mm. It's not. They're in the desert. The word is midbar, mm. and one thing about a desert is it's so hot and it's burning heat, and there is nothing there. If you've never been to the to this part of the world, and I've been there many times, there is nothing there, and the heat. In this area, the burning sun in this area will take you down in a second. This is if you take the same heat, the same temperature in this area as you would find, let's say, in a hot day during the summer in Australia. It's not the same. There's no water in the ground, so there's no moisture to cool down anything. And the people there are in. A, but there's also a part I'm going to comment on later of what Jason talked about, and that is stand and watch. So you can be sure. And those are Jason's words. Tori, he's saying a very holy thing because you're going to have knowledge. This ties of something so exquisite. We go back to a passage we covered earlier where Hashem says, 
the previous generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did not know my name, but you are going to know my name, which I point out as odd because actually God's name was being used earlier. But there's something about the knowledge, the apprehension of that God really controls everything, that everything has come together as music. Are you going to see how this is going to unfold? And when you see it, you're then going to know that I'm God. What does it mean you're going to know my name? Then you're going to understand that every little piece that seems right now as missing pieces, they're all over the place. This is here. That's happening here. This is a disaster. This is great. Like, what's going on? It's all noise. Like, hey, look what's going on in Israel. Obama doesn't want to talk to Bibi. This is going on here. I just say, we don't know. But when the redemption happens, then the everybody gets what's happening. It all mm. comes together as music and that's why music is going to be used at the end music because ah now we get the symphony we get all the instruments that are coming it's together coming. so now they're going to experience what abraham knew this means he was informed of these of this promise that the jews will be slave but we say he's told that back in genesis we, we studied that but they didn't know god's name and this is what the jewish people say when we say about the name of god it means conveying the message of god and that's what's being brought into view here that we we talk about God's name and how we should be careful of his name and so on. So you say, but it says, say my name, declare my name. What does that mean? It's the message that God is infinite. And it is, in a sense, a more difficult concept, but that's the concept of Torah. God's name is known only through actually seeing the whole experience of how it all comes together. Anyways, let's continue. It's just very fascinating what's happening here. And we're going to see something marvelous here, an overlap and an overlay. We're going to come to it uh, very shortly. But just know nice. the Jews are... Jews are a very injured people. And now this answers the other question of why did God not want to bring them to the Philistines? Here they are. <laughs> Egyptians are chasing them. I mean, how, and they're already trembling. And God's saying, you know, Moses say, don't fear. Imagine if they would deal, be dealing with Philistines who are fighting for their own land. Wow. Mm. Okay, so this answers that question. We can move on here. So the angel of God, the messenger of God, uh, moves between the camp of Israel and the camp of the Egyptians, keeps them separate with yes. the uh, pillar of cloud. Moses stretches out stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord causes uh, the sea to go back by a strong east wind all yeah. that night. So you get the point here. What's happening is, it's initially, an angel of God is before the nation. So you have the Egyptians, then the Jews, mm -hmm. and you have the sea. The What happened is, an angel comes, and he creates a barrier. He moves to the back of the Jewish people. So now the, the, the angel, using this cloud, now creates a barrier between the Egyptians and the Jews. This barrier will be very important because the Jews have the benefit of the light by night and the cloud by day. But the Egyptians should not benefit from the light. They, then the Egyptians would see the light too. But this cloud would act as a prophylactic mm -hmm. to prevent the Egyptians from having this cloud would absorb any arrows and any stones that we thrown at them. So the Egyptians are in complete darkness and there's a cloud, there's a barrier between them that's been created and the Jewish people at night, they have the they have the light. So it's a fantastic scene that's coming into view here. And then there's an east wind that comes all night. Why an east wind? That's So what happens is Moses stretches out his hand. By the way, I don't want to get into the whole Christian thing, but you see very clear, did Moses really split the sea? No, God split it, but God is using Moses. It doesn't mean that Moses was God in any way. But this Moses stretches out across the sea, but you notice there's an east wind that comes in all night. It's blowing against the water to finally create this thing. Why did God do that? He couldn't just split it. He needed a phenomena. He needed uh, an east wind to come to create it. The answer is that even to the last second, Pharaoh has a way in and a way out. In that, Pharaoh could I don't know if you, I'm going to just say this. I, I don't want to overdo this, but there have been TV shows, discovery shows, that try to show that, that what happened in the Bible, that seemed to be miracles, could have actually been created through natural phenomena. And they actually, I remember this years ago, seeing this, that you can use the wind and create this. It could possibly be. And that's what's happening here. God, God if he would have just split the sea completely, just bing, and there was no natural explanation for it, Pharaoh would have gone, I'm out of here. Pharaoh has a way out or a way in. He can recognize this as God, or he cannot recognize that this is God. But the east wind may, gives him a plausible way out. And so it continues on that uh, the, well, the east wind was blown. They, they crossed over on dry land. 
uh, the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on, on dry ground with the wall of water on either side of them. On the left and on the right, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And, uh, and it came to pass that in the morning watch, Jason, get this, in the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. So in my translation, it says, and it came to pass in the morning watch, the Lord looked forth upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of cloud and fire and discomforted the host of the Egyptians. Mm. Now, what's kind of cool here and might be interesting for some of our listeners is that if we only had that text, we would we might wonder what discomforted meant. We might wonder what why were they discomforted? Um, I, I'm very lucky and privileged to be doing um, a half Torah uh, after a um, half hour show with um, Rabbi Joshua Neely and we, mm. we get to talk about the, the half tour and what's happening and there are some chariots and some mud and things happening in this week's half tour which I'm sure Toby is going to get to later with Devorah but in this instance we have to wonder why are they discomforted um, and if we only had this text we, we probably wouldn't know so there are, there's a lot of argument about oral tradition within Judaism and within the reading of the Torah. And um, But if we turn to Psalm, and I'm going to, I should have made a note, 77. If we go to Psalm 77 and we read from 16, it says, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and arrived. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was held like a whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It's talking about the division of the sea. And it's talking about the lightning and thunderstorms that wiped out and discomforted the that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Now, why was this written in the Psalms? I mean, did they just make that up? Or was there an oral tradition of what happened that wasn't recorded in the text, but was remembered by the people? I think it's something worth thinking about because this isn't the only place in the Psalms where something like this happens. And it's not the only place in the in the uh, Tanakh where little bits are mentioned much later. Little bits of additional in information. Books, right, which sure. weren't recorded originally. So if we were only to keep this part, this Torah, um, these five books, where does this additional information come from? So it's just worth thinking about. There's something to dwell on. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And, uh, and it goes on in 25. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for Yudhei fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, is that the first time we see the Egyptians uh, speak the name in, in, uh, in, a, in a confession right. that he is the God that fights for Israel. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Remember just a few passages earlier mm-hmm. that because of Pharaoh's, I'm strengthening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh, the people of, the people of Egypt are going to know. And that and that's what's happening here. This the a similar event to this is we talked about the hail. When the fire and water come together, two completely different elements, they knew. And Pharaoh then confessed everything. I'm a sinner, my people are sinners. That's what's mm. happening here. What's happening here is there's smoke, there's explosions, there's a sound splitting explosions that are going on that's causing extraordinary confusion. And then at that point, because we have now multiple elements. We have wind, but it's not just wind, it's explosions and so on. It's all these sounds, ear-splitting sounds that now the Egyptians realize that this is again the hand of God. But at this point, it was, it was, it was, of course, too late. And now that, but there's one part we're going to come to in a moment that ultimately when they see all this, the, the Jews need to see one other thing for them to know. They need to, you can see now is a moment the Egyptians get it. The Jews need to see one more thing in order for them to feel a, a, a certain resolution. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that it's going to come right now. And then uh, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters uh, that, that they may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots, on the horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And uh, when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. 
the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and the, all the army of Pharaoh uh, that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were uh, a wall to them on the left and on the right. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the mm. seashore. Thus Israel saw oh. the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed in it. This is what it says, and believed in the Lord and his and servant Moses. Servant. So it's interesting, the Jewish people, these, you can see now in view the trauma. It was a very much that they need need to see the Nazis hanging. You know, they need to see the they need to see the justice. You notice that mm. the Jews wanted to see one more thing, not just that they were saved, but they wanted to see the dead Egyptians washing up on their side of the shore. Mm. Notice, so mm. they actually see all the dead Egyptians for them. That means they see that God is just as well, and they have therefore they know that their pursuers, those who sought to destroy them are not pursuing them anymore. The Egyptians now have been wiped out. This enables a traumatized people to feel a certain sense of comfort and to get the picture. Ah, now we trust Hashem that God is justice, that God is uh, that God is the God of salvation and he controls everything. The Jews see the great hand reflect upon Egypt when they see the dead Egyptians mm. on the shore. And the, the bodies wash up on the other side of the sea, not on the Egyptian side so that the people of Israel could see this. But Moses doesn't want, doesn't want them to hang out there. As we're going to see in a moment, Moses is going to want to get them mm. to move on. We'll see that in just a moment. And so they, they have, uh, yeah. not only does God close over the Red Sea, but they get closure as well. Jason, yeah. what goes through your mind? I just wanted to ask Tavier because I'm, uh, uh, I'm reminded of uh, some part of the Pesach Seder where um, a drop of wine is taken and um, uh, dropped out for the various plagues um, that were brought on Egypt. And I, I was wondering if Toby could give us two minutes on why that part of the Seder happens. Yeah, so during the Seder, we th- there's actually two layers of two strange things that happen. When we go through um, all the plagues, this is before we eat, uh, we 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 go dumb tzvadeya blood uh, the plague of frogs and we recount all the ten plagues. We pour out a drop of wine because we don't celebrate our enemy's destruction. That means we're not happy to see uh, the, uh, the dead people in Gaza, even though they killed us and they're shooting rockets into us. That's not the source of our joy. And therefore, wine is a source of joy and therefore is a source of love. Kiss me the kiss of the list for the love is better than wine is a source of joy. We pour out, we diminish from our joy a little bit. We diminish from our joy when we pour out a little bit of wine to say, we don't dance at our enemies' graves. That's not the way of the Jewish people. We don't celebrate. It has been said by one prime minister that uh, uh, Golda Meir said this. She said the reason she, and I'm paraphrasing here, she said the reason we, we, we so detest our enemies is they have forced us to kill their children. Mm. You know, and uh, that was a very insightful thought on her part that in a way, yes, it's true that they use human shields. So of course, there was justice that we had to. The Hamas is responsible. But in fact, Hamas forced the Jews to do what we detest. And that is that we had, we, in fact, they caused it, but the result was we had children were killed by our bombs. It's not an issue of culpability. Hamas is 100% culpable by doing that. They murdered them, but ultimately we detest you, Hamas, that you forced us to kill your children. And this is the... Now, there's one other little teeny thing I want to share with you. If you notice that in the Seder, after we drop the thing, we we take off 10 drops of, of wine. We then say, we give three acronyms. And the Tzach Hadash Vachav, which means we take the first letter of each of the plagues and we then spill three times after the ten times. The question is, why do we do that? That's, that's really weird. Like, why do we then do three times three different sets of 
uh, dropping of the wine. So it's a very interesting thing that we, we saw here that we kind of went through quickly because there's so much that this could be a show going on for 10 hours. In fact, we noticed that the Egyptians who drowned, the Torah says they drowned, used three different metaphors for the way they drowned. We're told that they went down like a stone. We're going to see that now. Watch carefully, like straw and like lead. Watch very carefully. Three different ways that they drowned, and the well, in three metaphors. There's a reason for this, and that is that if you, uh, if you, there are some of the Egyptians who are very, very, very wicked, the most wicked of all. So what Hashem did was, when they drowned, they were like straw, which means if you take straw and water, it floats around. That means they suffered a lot before they died. There were some who were of the, they were wicked, and they had to be destroyed, but they were the least of them. They went down like lead. That means they died immediately. Because uh, lead, if you put lead in water, it goes straight down. That's what we use as divers to weight ourselves down. We use lead. It's so dense. But if you take a stone and you throw it in the water, it does go down, but slow. Why? Because a stone has pockets of air in it, which means so there actually even there's a measurement in the way God punished each of the Egyptians based on how wicked they were, and we're going to see the the we're going to see it coming up like stone, like like like, and therefore we pour for each of them, remembering the suffering, even the the lower level of the the not lower, but the metadata. They suffered in three different ways. We're going to pour the wine in three different ways. Okay. Well, this is uh, chapter 15. This is the Song of Moses. I hope they don't call you Topia Singer for nothing. Ah, so this is very... Now, Now you, of course, I, rev- I kind of gave it away. Is why is this song so important? The people now... I remember going to a concert, a, a classical music concert in Philadelphia a few years ago. And I was invited because I was speaking there. And the guy who, who brought me there, like, sort of sponsored the whole concert. So they gave, they brought me into the concert before anyone else was allowed into the hall. And I was right in the front. And they, and what was happening was, is the, all the musicians, I mean, spectacular, there's the Philharmonic, Philadelphia Philharmonic Orchestra, this is a, a world-class orchestra, they were all practicing beforehand. They tuned up, and then suddenly the pianist is flying all over the place, and then the trumpet, and they're all going, and just noise, and they're each one on their own, individually. Again, this concert has begun. I got into the concert first, because the guy who sponsored it brings me in. I was the speaker in town, and I'm listening, and it sounded of just like a bunch of noise, dissident sounds. And I'm wondering, how is this noise going to come together? And you go, and, and the drummer's doing, and they're all testing and doing, and I'm going, what's the noise? And then what happens is, is then everyone is allowed in. I'm Mr. Important. They, you know, they just gave me that honor. And the concert begins. And then when I hear the music, but in a symphony, means all the different sounds. I go, oh, wow. Now I get with that. And I can hear the trumpet player playing that sound and I hear then the violinist making that sound and the sounds now all come together, not as dissonant noise, a cacophony, but rather a symphony. And that's what's happening with this song. This is the great song. The sole reason this music is it's a symphony. Now they apprehend, they're still an injured nation, but now all Hashem's, now they know the name of Hashem because the music is here. That's why music is so important in Tanakh because now they're seeing the symphony they're going to sing. So that's the long way of you saying that you're not going to sing it for us. So no, this is what it says. I will sing. Our ratings would die. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has thrown, he has thrown into the sea. Yah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Can we stop there for a second? Tobia, have you had this brought to you uh, by Christians before saying, look, look what it says in verse 2. Yah is my strength and my song. He has become my Yeshua. Well, it is. I mean, they chose a great name. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, look, the Muslims love Jerusalem, so they have good taste. You know, I mean, the Arabs have good taste. They're not going after Las Vegas. Uh, so, I, I, <laughs> I mean, in truth, I mean, Yeshua means God is salvation, but it's an adjective not a noun <laughs> that means but they took a beautiful word I, I, I grant that Hamas wants Jerusalem and they don't want a lot 
Eilat. Eilat's holy, but not like Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. they, they do see something exquisite. Christians are not idiots, not stupid, they're not evil people either. They're attracted to something exquisite. And we understand that Christianity gives people a heart, but you, we, we're saying this is the greatest truth is the Jewish faith. So Yeshua here means salvation, the salvation of God. Mm. So. It goes on to say, he is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord, now here's another one. The mm. Lord is a man. We read in a number of uh, occasions oh, that the so, Lord is not a man, but it right. says the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Just so, a little careful. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it because it's really pretty simple. And that is that there are two words for man. Two, there are actually more than two, There's but two big words. And that is Adam. Adam means, has the word Adama, which means earth in it. That's for man. Ish is a different word, and that's what's being used here. Ish does not have in any word nothing in there about earth, and therefore ish really should be understood to mean, in English, is a really great word, and then is a being. So, of course, we can use the word man, and it's used man. The word ish also means a husband. It means a lot of things, but the point is, it's not a man in the sense of made out of the ground. Ish means he mm-hmm. is a being. It's not... Um, uh, it's not a a a a man as in an Adam. Okay, that's very mm. important. And Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. He his chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. There it is. There it Your is. right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces, and in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You have sent forth your wrath, it consumed them like stubble. There's the ah, straw. There you go. Ah, That's... and with the blast of, the, of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright like a heap, the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my Desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead. Ah, there it is. There it is. In the mighty waters. Beautiful. Don't you feel? First, I mean, I feel goosebumps by my shoulders. Goosebumps. You know, as I see, you see how it comes together. Normally, we'd read this. I forgive me. I maybe I'll get fired after the show for talking to it. But you see, <laughs> you see, the reason I show you this, my my beautiful friends, is that you see that we would normally read it like lead, like straw. But this Hashem, this every word here is so holy. I, I, I really, we all spend our time restraining ourselves because that's what I wanted you to see in the text. Mm. Don't read through these texts. Just understand, there's something unbelievable. Let's continue. Go ahead. There's something big going on. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Is what I, well, we've got to stop there. Among the gods? Ah, very so, ah, so, there, so there the key is, is who is like you, meaning among the powers. That means that there are all powers in the world. Remember, that's the word mm-hmm. el, means powers. Mm-hmm. So, who, what does that word mean? That's great now, verse 11. Look at the words. That's the Hebrew. That means, the word al means power. So now the verse is exquisite. Mi chamoicha, mi means who? Chamoicha is like you. Ba elim, ba means in, ba elim in the powers. Okay, so el is, means, means mighty, elim is the plural mighty ones, and so that's what we have here. Yeah. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders you, you stretched uh, out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your mercy, you have uh, led forth the people uh, whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will fear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of uh, Felicia. And then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Oh, fear stop, and stop right there, right there. Just... Remember what I shared with you earlier. I said that the that the Philistines they're going to go nuts. Remember, mm. I said that to you. Here mm. we actually see it in the passage. Look at the difference between comparing the dwellers of Canaan to Edom, who are not 
Israel is the land of Israel is not in the land of Edom. Moab, that's you know, that's in Jordan. If you join us on our tour, we might be able to show it to you across the sea. But that's mm. not the land of Israel. Notice the text we see there in the text just sewn right in that in fact the inhabitants of Canaan, given that they are the ones who are actually are going to lose the land that they're inhabiting, these are the Philistines, they're going to be dissolved, which means they're utterly destroyed. The people, there's a much more gripping, a much more a much more forceful language used about the inhabitants of Canaan. And this is what, what God is going, this of course ties together perfectly with, yeah, the Jews could deal with other problems, like they could, they could deal with it, we're going to deal with that. But to deal with the people who know they're going to be dissolved, that's going to be a war they're not quite ready for yet. And we see it here in the text that there is a difference between those who actually live in the land, the kind of what happens to them, and what happens to the other nations who are going to be gripped and trembling, but not dissolved. Cain is dissolved. Fear, Go ahead. Fear and dread. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till your people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them uh, in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, uh, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Right. Uh, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and, uh, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went over on dry land in the midst of the sea. And uh, here we are in verse 20, and this is uh, Miriam's song. And it says, uh, Toby, it says Miriam the prophetess. Right. Now, is she a prophetess in the same sense that Aaron yes, is a prophet? Yes, yes, very, very much. And mm-hmm. she's born during a time of bitterness for the Jewish people. Yeah. Okay, so it says uh, Moses brought Israel to the Red Sea, and when they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness, they found no water. And now when it came, uh, they came to Marah, they could not drink the, the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. Mm. Uh, it means, means bitter. And uh, the people complained against Moses again, saying, uh, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters became sweet. Yeah. Uh, and he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And he tested them and, and said, If you diligently heed to the voice of the Lord your God to do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and give uh, and keep his statutes, which uh, I, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yudhei who heals you. Mm, right. So here we, here we have the whole thing. And that is, it may not make sense. Sometimes you'll see, I want to just say this, you know, when there were pogroms in Europe and the Jews were forced to leave, and had to leave Hungary and go to the United States, or that the fleeted land of Israel, Palestine was called Palestine, mm. or South Africa. Well, they went to Australia. There were many Jews who gave up their mm. faith. You should know that they were on ships going to Australia to South Africa, to America. Palace and Phil, they threw them overboard, literally, and they said, "I give up on you, God." Because look at what's happening. We've been living in, in this European country for hundreds of years, and now we, we because of these pogroms, we have to run. As it turns now, in hindsight, those Jews who were on those ships cursing God and throwing walked away from their faith, in fact, were being saved from Hitler's ovens. And that's what's happening here. Sometimes the refua, which means the antidote, the medicine, seems bitter and doesn't make any sense. Say, oh, this is terrible. No, no. This is going to save you. And this is what's happening. I, I want you to transpose everything here. This is not history books. That means, thank you, Hashem. I don't know exactly how this is going to play in the whole symphony. But I trust that throwing a tree into bitter water is somehow going to produce sweet water. I trust that things, all these different things that are happening here, ISIS is coming, Syria is coming, it all looks terrible, so destabilizing. Where is God's salvation? Have you turned your face away from me? Hashem says, no, 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 no. Trust to me, follow my ways. If you do follow my ways, then I will be your healer. I will ultimately, all of the things which appear bitter to you will ultimately become sweet and you'll get it. But you'll get it when you see it. But you have to put your faith in me.